Amen. Thank you for your worship. Go ahead and be seated. If you have your Bibles, we're in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, the fourth book in the New Testament is where we will be hanging out today. If you don't have your Bibles, no big deal. All the scripture will be on the screen so that you can follow along or you can download our Journey Church International app and follow along that way. For those of you who are watching online live right now, thank you for being with us. I talked to a gal this morning who was at our 8 a.m. service whose dad watches us online every Sunday but cannot come because he has cancer. And he cannot leave the house, but she said he watches every week and considers your church home. So if you're one of those, I hear every week that people watch us at home because they physically cannot get out of the house. We want you to know that we consider you a part of our church. And if we can serve you in any way, um, please let us know. We would absolutely love to do that. The next three weeks are going to be super important for our church family and the season that we are going through right now. Obviously, next weekend is Easter, Saturday at 5, Sunday at 8, 9, 30, and 11. Um, If you would be able to. Would you please consider coming Saturday night at 5 or Sunday at 8 a.m.? We know the 9.30 and 11 o'clock services because of parking, because of seating, are just going to be busy. There'll be seats, there'll be parking, but it'll be much busier at 9.30 and 11 than it will be at 5 or 8. So if your family is able, if the guests that you've invited are able to come Saturday at 5 p.m. or Sunday at 8, um, that would be huge. The week after that, on Thursday, May 2, we're having a volunteer event that we call Inspire. About once every 8 to 10 weeks, Um, We try to get all of our volunteers together at church for a time of extended worship, a time of extended prayer, a little bit of vision casting. Our volunteers all pour out so much of themselves on Sundays that sometimes by the time they get to church, they're physically worn out. So we want to give our volunteers a worship experience where they don't have to do anything but just take in. So volunteers, mark your calendar. Come hang out with us Thursday, May 2. And then Sunday, May 5 is going to be a real important Sunday for the future of our church. We're calling that What's Next Vision Sunday. The first Sunday of February, we started our fifth Sunday service over at Summit Lakes. We had more than 300 people uh, who went over there to go to church, and we said by Easter, we'll figure out what our next steps are. We've been working really hard to figure out what's next for us in terms of building, in terms of land development, in terms of services the next year or two or three. May 5 will be the time as a church family we will say, here's the future we're headed towards, and we'll figure out together how we can all get there. So the next three weeks are going to be really, really important. But today's really important because today's Palm Sunday, and today is week four of a series that we've been in called This Is My Story. Here's our belief in this series. We believe that who you are in life is important to God and where you are in life. If you will give your story to God, the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, we believe who you are in life is important to God and where you are in life and what you've experienced in life can be impactful to others if you will give it to God. We've had some teachers the last three weeks that maybe you've heard of. We've had a teacher named Moses that taught us how to see God in our stories and how to tell our stories. Two weeks ago, we met a man named King Saul who taught us how important it was to say, stay small in our own eyes and let Jesus be the hero of our story. Last week, we met the Apostle Paul who taught us how suffering can be one of the greatest testimonies in our life of who we believe God to be. And this week, we're going to meet Thomas. You say, who is Thomas? And here's the statement I want to make. I believe Thomas is more than you think he is. You say, who's Thomas? I believe he's more than you think he is. Thomas was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. His name in Aramaic is Teoma. In Greek, it's Didymus. Both of those words mean the twin. So Thomas had a twin brother. We don't meet his twin. We don't know if he also was a follower of Jesus. We don't know his name, but we know Thomas was a twin brother. Thomas took the message of the gospel to India 
In AD 50, before his death, my first mission trip to India, uh, I was shocked when before I left, they said, do you want to go up and visit St. Thomas Mount? And I said, what is St. Thomas Mount? And they said, that's where Thomas, one of the disciples, that's where he died. He ended his life doing ministry here in India. And I said, I had no idea that Thomas made it all the way to India. There's a church there, almost 2,000 years old in India that was founded by Thomas. And I believe he's wrongly known by most Christians only as Doubting Thomas. Like if we were to have a pop quiz and I said, tell me what you know about Thomas, most people who have grown up in church know that he is doubting Thomas. But I want to present him to you today as dying Thomas. Because in John chapter 11, we're going to hear Thomas speak for the very first time in scripture. And what he says is going to be a challenge to all of us spiritually. And what he says is going to allow all of us to look at our levels of spiritual commitment and say, where am I? Like really, in my story right now spiritually, where Am I? That's my hope that you won't just learn Thomas's story today, but that you'll learn a little bit of yours. So as we get ready to head into that hope, would you just bow your heads quickly with me? Would you just take a deep breath this morning and try to put everything else out of your head but what God is going to speak to you about? And would you just pray and ask God today to speak to your heart and to show you where you are spiritually and where you need to move? God, we know that every time the people of God study the word of God, the spirit of God has an opportunity to plant seeds in our hearts. Today, plant a seed in our heart that shows us where we are spiritually and where we need to go as we continue pursuing Jesus. That's our prayer. Help us see those things today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. John chapter 11 is a story about a man named Lazarus, but we see an interesting statement from Thomas Within that story, we'll start in John 11, 1 and read through verse 16. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Let me give you a footnote before we continue. The last time Jesus was in Judea, which is where Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel was, um, the rulers of the law, basically the government had threatened to kill him, and they had put him on their FBI's 10 most wanted list. There were posters, if you could see it that way, of Jesus hanging around town. If he ever came back to town, They were going to kill him. Jesus knew that and his disciples knew that. So they had withdrawn to Galilee, about 100 miles to the north. Jesus had been doing ministry there. But Lazarus lived in Bethany, two miles from the Mount of Olives. As a matter of fact, if you go to Israel with me, we'll stand on the Mount of Olives. And if we look east towards the Jordan River instead of west towards the city of Jerusalem, you can see a little church that's been built that is the church of Lazarus that commemorates where Lazarus and his sisters would have lived. And the disciples knew, Jesus, if we get that close, they're going, they're going to kill you. That was, it was well known because of their spiritual journey that they'd been on. So we continue in verse 8. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you were going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they will see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they will stumble, for they have no light. He had told them earlier he was the light of the world. He basically said, If you're with me, you'll be okay. Verse 11, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. 
And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, Teoma, also known as Didymus, the twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. The first words in scripture of Thomas were not, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and the spear print in his sides, I won't believe. The most powerful words of Thomas in scripture are not, I won't believe until I see him. The most powerful words of Thomas in scripture are found right here. Let's go die with Jesus. It shows his level of commitment at this stage of his faith was all in spiritually. Let's go die with Jesus. If you were to make a statement today, just summarizing where your faith is, what would you say? You know, I, I don't know the first words of your Christian life. I don't know that any of us at this point will know the last words of our Christian life. But if, but if we had a word for today that just defined, this is where I am. If you've ever walked into a mall that you had never been to, and you had one store that you wanted to visit, you would probably walk into the mall and you would go to one of those big signs that had a big red dot that said, you are here. And you would find where you were and where you wanted to go and you would kind of map out that journey. If today, spiritually, your story were written on a placard and there were points where you could be, what, what point on the map would say you are here and where do you need to go? That's my goal today is that you would see where you are in your journey and where you need to go on your journey by listening to the words of Thomas. Because Jesus in his ministry gave three distinct calls to his disciples that represent kind of three stages of faith. They represent three depth levels of faith. And all of you are at one of these levels. And what I want to challenge you to do today by the end of the message is fill in this statement that I've given you. Today's key statement, let's go blank with Jesus. Now, you can't fill it in yet because I've not told you what three words you can use. And without this message, you probably don't know where you are yet. But at the end of the message, we're going to come back to this. And my prayer is that you'll write one of three words into this blank. Either let's go see Jesus. That's a stage, a level of faith you can be in. Let's go follow Jesus. That's a season of faith that you can be in. Or let's go die with Jesus. And my hope is that we can figure out how to get to the finish line that Thomas was at today. Let's go die with Jesus. The first call that Jesus gave his disciples, which I call stage one of your faith journey, would be come and see. Come and see. When Jesus first called the disciples into his life, into his world, into relationship, his call to them was, hey, come and see what all of this is about at this stage of your faith. You're aware of Jesus. You're possibly even interested in Jesus. You may actually be a new believer in Jesus. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, first, thanks for being here. You are always welcome in our church in this stage. If you say, I'm not a Christian, but I'm just, I'm just, I just want to come and see what it's all about. I want to ask questions. I want to have conversations. I want to come and see who Jesus is. You're always welcome at our church. And a lot of people start at this place. They haven't yet given their life to Jesus, but they want to see more of who he is. And you might even be a brand new believer. You might say, I have decided to follow Jesus, but really my world is, I'm just still trying to figure out who he is. Like I, I know I want him in my life, but I, I still need to learn more. You're in the stage, come and see. We read about it in John chapter 1. John the Baptist, the day before he baptized Jesus, when he baptized him, he called him the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The next day, he came walking by again, and John told his disciples, there's the guy that I told you about. Says the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by. He said, look, there he is, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? 
They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. Come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Jesus, what are you all about? Come and see. So they did. They hung out with him for an afternoon. At this stage, you're aware of Jesus, possibly even interested in Jesus. You might even be a new believer in Jesus. But I want to say this. If you are a follower of Jesus and this is your current stage, don't stay here long. Jesus called you out of your life for more than just to watch him work. He wants you to be a part of his work. And if you're a Christian who's moved beyond this stage, you think, man, I can remember that time. First time I went to a youth camp was to come and see First time I went to church with boyfriend or girlfriend was to come and see. First time a neighbor invited me to church was to come and see. First time I went in church, things had gone wrong, and I wondered if Jesus could help me. If you started there and you've moved beyond that, don't forget how valuable that place is because if you've moved beyond that as a Christian, you're now ready to invite someone into this stage. And here's the key question as you process that. Who in your life needs an awareness or an interest in Jesus? Because it's where everyone starts. Come and see. Check it out for an afternoon. Who in your life needs an awareness or an interest in Jesus? There are specific types of people who need to be invited to come and see Jesus. In Luke 24, we meet two of them. One of them's name is Cleopas, his friend. We don't know who they were. On Resurrection Sunday, they were in Jerusalem. They'd been hoping Jesus would like raise from the dead and preach a sermon up on the Temple Mount, and he did not. So they were walking back to their home seven miles from Jerusalem, to their village called Emmaus where they lived. And as they walked along, they were just, and their, their souls were heavy and they just thought, man, everything we believed is wrong. It says that Jesus came and started walking alongside him, but they did not know it was him. They said, why are your faces so downcast? They said, we're just so discouraged. They said, well, what has happened? They said, well, somebody we followed thought he was the Messiah, but he died and, and now he's gone. And our hope was that he would rise again, but he, he didn't rise again. And they had all these spiritual facts without this saving faith. So Jesus began to explain the Old Testament to them in a way that they could really understand it. And then they invited him for lunch. They said, hey, you want to stay and eat with us? And he said, all right. So as he ate with them, they continued talking. And they said, hey, do you want to pray for the food? And he said, all right. And as he raised up the bread to break the bread, it says as he broke bread that they recognized him. Many scholars believe as Jesus pulled his arms out of the, the, probably the long coat or robe he was wearing to break the bread that they would have seen the scars on the back of his hands and they would have thought, that's him, that's Jesus. They would say later, didn't I mean, as we were talking to him, weren't our hearts like burning with fire because we thought it was him? But when we saw the hands, when we saw that he was truly the resurrected Savior, changed anything. They raced back to Jerusalem to say, we've seen him. He's alive. He spent time with us. Holy cow, it's all true. We see in that chapter of scripture who we should be looking for to invite to a meal, to a service, to hang out for an afternoon with the resurrected savior. Say, who should I be looking for to invite? Number one, those discouraged by life. Jesus walked up to these people and he said, why, why are your hearts so discouraged? You see, I am of the belief because of the sovereignty of God and because of God's providence that if you are a Christian who knows someone who, are, who is discouraged, I believe you're supposed to do something about it. I don't believe that God allows us to know people are discouraged like we know that George Washington was America's first president. I don't think it's a fact that we learn and then can get right on a test. I think as Christians, if God ever shows us someone who is discouraged, who's disheartened, that he's doing that so that we can invite them to come and see Jesus, to have a meal with him, because there's something about those nail-scarred hands that might be able to help them. Number two, people who have lost hope. 
These men said we put our hope in something that we didn't think actually happened. It didn't pan out, so we're crushed. And we all have people in our life whose hope was in their marriage until it fell apart and they were crushed. Whose hope was in their kids and their kids' successes until that fell apart and then they were crushed. Whose hope was in their mom and dad's marriage and stability and then that fell apart. Whose hope was in their business and their wealth until that fell apart. Whose hope was in their health until that fell apart. See, if, at some point in life, if we hope in anything other than Jesus, it's going to go. And if we know someone who put their hope, their ultimate hope and trust in something other than Jesus and the rug got pulled out from underneath them, Jesus said, those are the people who need to see the nail-scarred hands of the resurrected Savior. I, I could help people like that. And then number three, those who seem to have spiritual facts without saving faith. I would call these Palm Sunday Christians on Palm Sunday. On Sunday, they stand up and really talk well about Jesus. On Friday and Saturday, they kind of forget that he exists. You know anybody like that? They have some spiritual facts. They probably even go to church. But they don't really appear to have been impacted deeply by Jesus. It's funny how often we look at people like that and think, I know a lot of people who go to that church who are like that. Listen, I know a lot of people who go to this church who are like that. Right? Don't, don't judge churches, but you can evaluate people and say, man, they, you know, they talk so highly about who Jesus is on Sunday, but then by the time the weekend comes, they would deny him completely. Those are Palm Sunday Christians. Those are great people to invite, to experience the nail-scarred hands of the resurrected Savior. Because just a little time with the resurrected Savior will change everything. A few years ago, we were in Israel, headed back to the airport. And you usually drive from Jerusalem to the airport on highway number one. It runs from literally Tel Aviv, the Mediterranean Sea, all the way through the Jordan River. You can take it into Amman, Jordan. But it's always crazy packed with traffic. So they put in a new interchange that's called Highway 20. It's called the Ayalon. Ayalon North, Ayalon South. And we were driving back to the airport, and our tour guide was kind of sitting. We were just chatting. And he looked up at the sign as we were passing. And he said, hey, are you... Um, are you aware of the, of the Ilon? Have you ever been on the Ilon before? And I said, no, I don't think I've ever taken it. Great road. And he said, well, but do you know where you are on, on the Ilon South? And I said, no, like I'm from America. I've never driven these roads. And he said, what if I called it the Ilon Valley? And I said, yes, I know where that is. It's not spelled that way in the Bible, but that's where Joshua asked the sun to stand still and the sun stood still for 24 hours while he, while he won a victory. Are you saying that? Are we in, are we in the valley of sun stand still? He said, yes. This whole road is in the Ilon Valley. This is where the sun stood still. And he said, by the way, we just passed a village called Emmaus. And I said, like the Easter Emmaus, where Jesus sat down with those people? And he said, yeah. And I said, so you're telling me the same place the sun stood still, the sun sat down. And on both days, there was an announcement made to the world that God cares and God is supernatural and God has come down to be a part. Like, are you telling me that those things are true? And he was like, yes. Those things are true. And I just got like a chill that went up my spine where I thought the same place the sun stood still is the place the sun sat down. And for both reasons, so the world could know there was a God who was aware of them, who knew them, who loved them, who could help them. You see, our Easter hope is that recognition of the risen Savior changes everything. So we have to, as Christians, be compelled to invite those who are discouraged, those who have lost hope, those who seem to have spiritual facts but not saving faith. We've got to invite them to come and see who Jesus is. And if you're a Christian who's in this phase, you say, I started there. I, I came and saw and I said yes to Jesus. Don't stay there long. Move forward because the next call of Jesus was stage two, come and follow. The first call was come and see. But as the disciples watched and begun to hang out, with Je hang out with Jesus, he said, now I need you to come and follow. I need you to give me more of your life. At this stage, you're actively following Jesus. 
but you're possibly interested in enough other things that you're distracted spiritually. Like you want to follow Jesus, but you're always aware of how others are following Jesus, and you've just got a lot of things going on in your life that, that make following Jesus a little more difficult. After Jesus raised from the dead, he had a hard time getting Peter, the apostle Peter, to reconnect with him spiritually because he had failed so badly spiritually. And Peter decided to quit and become a fisherman again. So Jesus was up in Galilee and he kind of got Peter to get off a boat. They had breakfast together. And then they took a walk along the beach and he said, Peter, I, like, I need you to follow me again. I need you to get out of this come and see moment. Stop watching from a distance. I need you to come and follow me. And instead of Peter just saying, yes, I'll do it, he was distracted by other people. And he said, well, what about everyone else? Before I say yes, what about everyone else? In John 21, 21 and 22, it says, when Peter looked over, Jesus said, follow me. But when Peter looked over and saw John, another of Jesus' disciples, he said, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. There are people who follow Jesus until they realize no one else is and then they quit. There are people who follow Jesus, but when their husband or wife doesn't follow like they follow, they quit. There are people who follow Jesus, but when their parents don't support them, they stop. There are people who, they're actively engaged trying to follow Jesus, but they got a lot of other things going on in life. And they can get distracted by people. They can get distracted by places. They can get distracted by activities. They can get distracted by hobbies. There are people who have said yes to following Jesus, but they got their eyes and their hearts on a lot of other things that are distracting to them. At this stage of Christianity, Christianity is a commitment, but it's not the priority of your life. You just got a lot of other things going on. At this stage, Christianity is a commitment. I'm committed to it, as long as nothing else important is going on. Would you say that's your stage of faith right now? I'm beyond come and see. I'm not just sitting in the audience. I'm very committed. Unless, of course, there's something really important going on and, and, and then I've got to prioritize things. See, I believe that this is the stage that the majority of Christians live in. If they follow Jesus, but not as the absolute priority. I believe that this is the stage the majority of Christians stay too long in, and this is the stage that you have to leave at one point or another, and you exit one of two ways. You follow long enough that Jesus asks you to do something that you say, nope, don't want to do that, and you back up into come and see, or you follow Jesus long enough that he says, I want you to sacrifice something greater than yourself, and trust me, and you step into come and die. My, my question is, where are you, and how long have you stayed in this come and follow stage? In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people, 5,000 men, probably 15,000 total people. The next day, they show up after they've eaten, and they're like, hey, wh wh when's breakfast? And he's like, no, you don't get it. I'm not going to feed you every day for the rest of your life. But if you follow me every day for the rest of your life, it will feed your soul. And they said, that's asking too much. That's not what we signed up for. In Luke chapter 9, we meet somebody who told Jesus, I want to follow you, but I need to wait till my dad dies so I can get his inheritance. And then when I am financially secure, I am all in. And Jesus said, no. Be spiritually secure and let God take care of that other stuff. And the guy said, you're asking too much. I can't do that. And he backed up into come and see again. In Luke chapter 9, we meet another person who, from come and see who wants to come and follow. And Jesus says, follow me. And he said, I would, but my friends and family, I don't think are going to follow as much as I'm following. So it's going to bring some tension in my life. So when my friends and family are ready, we'll all follow together. And Jesus said, no, you got to step out and follow first. And he said, you're asking too much. And he backed up into come and see again. In Luke chapter 18, we meet a rich young ruler who told Jesus, I want to follow you to heaven. 
And Jesus said, it's great, but you like your stuff a lot. Let go of your stuff and you can grab hold of heaven. And he said, that's asking too much. I, I can't possibly do that. And at some point in come and follow, Jesus asked us to get all the way in or realize what he's asking is too much and we just kind of step back into the crowd of come and see and we think I'll just watch from a distance and figure it out later. I had with my dad one of the greatest experiences of my life this week. I got a chance to go to the Masters Golf Tournament with one of the, the businessmen in our church. He had been to Israel with us a couple years ago on a trip that my mom and dad were on. And he heard us talk about the Masters Golf Tournament being one of our bucket list items that we would watch together growing up. And he said, I could, I could make that happen. He said, I get invited every year with a vendor that I work with, but I don't really like golf, so I don't go. But if you guys want to go, next time he asks, I'll say yes and see if I can bring you with me. And sure enough, a few months ago, he called and said, hey, the guy, the guy said, we can go. Do you want to go? And it's like, yes, I want to go. And it was, I mean, the VIP treatment. The, the vendor that he works with is like all in with the Masters Golf Tournament. And it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. We flew in Wednesday and golfed at the nicest golf course that I've ever golfed at in my life. That was a few miles from Augusta. Ozzie Smith, who was a gold glove shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals, was playing a few groups ahead of us. Jim Edmonds, who was their all, you know, gold glove all-star center fielder a few years before that was playing in the group behind us. I sat like five chairs from Lou Holtz at dinner, the former coach of uh, Notre Dame fighting Irish. Um, it, was, it was just surreal. And then Thursday, we went to the golf tournament. We had special passes to this hospitality tent where everything was free. And I mean, it was the nicest of nice, but like everything was free. They had these greens set up that were the exact replica greens of Augustus 7th, 14th, and 16th holes with real caddies who were there teaching you how to putt and read the greens so you could see how fast they were. And you had to wait in line for this. But at the end of the line, former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice was there talking to people and hosting them because she's a member at Augusta National Country Club. So her job that week was to, you know, just kind of meet and greet, talk to people. So we got to talk to Condoleezza Rice for five minutes while we were waiting to putt. It was unbelievable. And I told my dad when we left, I said, I will never come to the Masters again unless we do it exactly like that. That, that was unbelievable. And then the guy I was with told me how much my ticket cost. He said, you could do that again if you were willing to pay this. And I said, I, so I will never come back to the Masters. It was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, but it was fantastic because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter even if I wanted to. Like, I couldn't. Like, if I spent that much money on anything, it would have to be a car. I'm super grateful someone spent it on me, but that price would be too much for me to pay personally. And a lot of people get there spiritually. They follow Jesus to a point where he says, I want more of you. And you think, that's too high of a price for me to pay. You follow Jesus to a point where he says, I, I want all of your heart. I want all of your life. I want you to forgive people when they hurt you. And you think, that's too much to ask. You follow Jesus to a point where he says, I want you for the rest of your life to give me 10 cents of every dollar that you ever make to show that you have gratitude and trust. And you think, that's too much to ask. I can't do that. You hear Jesus say, I want you to base all your relationships and sexual activity on this book. And you think, that's too much to ask. I can't base all my relationships and sexual activity on a 2,000-year-old book. That's too much to ask. And at some point, Jesus asks you to follow him to a place where you either get all in or you totally back out and say, I'm just going to watch from the stands because I, just, I can't pay that price. Thomas on this day in history, was willing to pay the price. My question is, where are you? And are you battling with, can I pay that much spiritually? Can I step all the way in? Or do I need to step out again? Or have you trusted Jesus to the point of living in stage three that you would say, I think people would describe me as a come and die with Jesus, Christian. I'm all in. Stage number one, come and see. Check it out. 
Stage number two, come and follow. Get committed. Stage number three, come and die. At this stage, you're all in spiritually. There's a great possibility that Jesus is clearly your number one priority, and everyone can see that. I would say this stage is represented by the verse Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is someone who says, every decision that I make is a spiritual decision. At this stage of faith, every decision you make becomes a spiritual decision because you say, the first thing I want to know is what does Jesus want me to do here? And I'm going to do that and let every, I'm going to let Jesus take care of everything else. If come and see is marked by um, Jesus saying, come and see what I'm doing. Uh, Early in the book of John, if come and follow is based on John chapter 21, where Jesus tells Peter, you got to get your eyes off all the distractions and just follow me. Then Mark chapter eight is the call of stage three, come and die. When Jesus calls the crowd to him along with his disciples and he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus said this exact same thing to people who three years earlier he had told to just come and see. And then a year and a half earlier he had said, come and follow. He was now saying, come and die. You know, you really don't start with come and die. Most people have to come and see and come and follow, but they get to a point where there's one thing standing between following and dying, and they have to decide, am I all in or am I all out? Am I going to go back and just watch, or am I going to give Jesus all of me and trust him? That's where Thomas was. Let's go and die with him. This is where following Jesus becomes about denying yourself. Probably one term that summarizes this stage of Christianity well is the word sacrifice. You realize you are giving up things to walk towards Jesus. And not just things you want to give up. Listen, everyone wants to give up their sin to Jesus. That's not hard. Everyone wants to give up their hurt to Jesus. That's not hard. Everyone wants to give up their pain to Jesus. That's not hard. That's why so many world religions work so well for so many people up until a particular point. Because they say they'll take all the bad. It's only in Christianity that says, if you will give all the bad, you'll get it replaced with Jesus and you'll have all the good. People want to give up the bad. Being all in means you give up some of the good stuff as well. Being all in means you sacrifice time every day for Jesus. Not because you have time, but because it's important to you to make time. You sacrifice something else So you can spend time with Jesus. It's why you serve on Sundays for the hundreds of volunteers who serve. They've gone beyond come and see. Now they come and serve, not because they have extra time or they even like doing what they're doing. But they realize that sacrifice is important and they want to be a bigger part of God's kingdom. This is why people make time for small group. Not because they need more friends or don't have any friends. Not because they have extra time in their week to do nothing with. But but because they says, if Jesus says live in community and that's the way we grow best spiritually, I'm going to sacrifice something else so that I can have what Jesus wants. This is why people would ever go on a mission trip. Take paid vacation days or unpaid vacation days and then spend a lot of money just to go help other people. You just realize that sacrifice is worth it. This is why you would give. This is why anyone would give 10 cents of every dollar off of every paycheck, and then give more when there are opportunities to really expand God's kingdom. They choose to sacrifice because they're all in. In this stage, people choose Jesus 
over other important things. It's easy to give the hard things, the bad things. It's difficult to give the important things. We started this year with two sermons where I challenge you to consider making 19 spiritual commitments in 2019. Uh, If you weren't here, you can go back and listen to those the first two Sundays of January. I gave 19 spiritual commitments like read your Bible, maybe start journaling, memorize some verses, pray for a friend. Two that I gave were make Sunday more important than it's ever been and for really busy families who have really busy kids. I, I gave this commitment to consider one Sunday this year, just one Sunday this year. Say no to something else so you can come to church. I know there are many Sundays a year you miss church for work, you miss church for the Chiefs, you miss church for the lake, you miss church for baseball, you miss church for softball, you miss church for soccer, you miss church for swimming, you miss church for dance. I get it. I'm not asking you to quit living life. I'm saying one time this year, one time you were going to go to the lake, tell people we're not because we're going to choose to stay home and go to church. Tell the coach we're not playing this weekend because we're going to take this weekend off and we're going to go to church. I, I, I challenged our families, consider doing that. Dozens took me up on it. And some have actually experienced it a time or two. And I hear the same kind of funny story over and over and over again from families who said, we decided we were going to take that commitment. We told our kids they went nuts. They threatened to move out of the house. They threatened to quit being in our family. They told us the coach would bench them, that everyone on the team would laugh at them. You know, when we said we're not coming for all the dance recitals, they, they just went ballistic. But we said it's going to be important to us. God sometimes has to be more important than other things or he'll never, when you grow up, be more important than anything. And they said, here's what happened. We took that weekend off, and it was the greatest weekend of our year so far, not because we went to church, but because that's the first time we have ever not been slaves to our kids' schedules. And we realized how much more family time we would have if we would make most important things be first. Not because we got to sit in church, but we realized we had become slaves to our kids' schedules. And that wasn't something that was set up to pour life into us. See, what's interesting is when we are slaves to something else, it takes life from us. But when we are slaves to Jesus, it gives life to us. Because what we are willing to sacrifice for Jesus almost always ends up serving us. It appears to be a sacrifice on the surface level. But when we step across the line of sacrifice, what we find is life, which means the phrase come and die really means come and live. The phrase spiritually, come and die, actually means come and live. Some things will have to be put to death, but when you step over the line of sacrifice, you actually realize the life I have for you is the life you would have wanted if you would have trusted me from the beginning. Come and live. Come and die really means come and live. So let's go back to the statement. Where are you? Which statement today defines where you are in your story? Would you say, if I were to mark where I've been on a map this year in 2019, that my kind of spiritual journey right now is let's go see Jesus? Because all we really do is come and watch. Right now, we're just kind of in the audience. It's, it's an important stage. It's just, it's just not a stage you're supposed to stay in forever. Would you say that based on the actions of my life in 2019, I am a let's go see Jesus Christian. That's kind of the extent of my faith. Or would you say that you're a let's go follow Jesus? You're, you're active, you're committed, but when other things are around, sometimes you're less committed or not committed at all. Would you say, I think my faith is a let's go follow Jesus. Like, I follow Jesus, but I mean, if there's like a great business trip out of town, I will stay an extra weekend and forget about church. I follow Jesus, but if the neighbors are having a great block party, 
I'm, I might go do some things that I shouldn't do. I, like I follow Jesus when, when like nothing really important is going on. Would you say you're in that stage or would you say you're Thomas? Dying Thomas. Not doubting Thomas. Dying Thomas. That's how I want you to remember him. Where he said, at some point in life, God asked me to make this huge sacrifice. And I thought to do it would kill me, but I did it. And I actually came to life more than I ever knew that I could be alive. And I am a let's go die with Jesus Christian because I realize every time Jesus asked me to make another sacrifice, all it does is add life to me. Come and die really means come and live. So Jesus is first. Every decision is a spiritual decision. I seek him first. I let everything else work its way out. Where are you? See, follow, or come and die. If you can know where you are in your story, that's a win for today. As a pastor, I've had a successful Sunday if you know where you are in the story. I've had a super successful Sunday if you know where you are in the story and you know someone discouraged or hopeless someone who has some spiritual facts but not saving faith, and you're also thinking, I need to get them to come and see Jesus. If you've got both those things going on, it's been a super win spiritually today. And that's my prayer for you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we consider those things? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room, but hearts are open. You asked Jesus before this message started to speak to your heart about where you were in your story. Did he do that? If so, which statement defines you? And what do you need to do to move one statement further? Would you, from your heart to God's, would you acknowledge where you are spiritually right now? Would you just, would you just say, not out loud, but in your own heart, God, I'm a come and see Christian God. I'm a, let's go follow Jesus, Christian God. I am... God, I'd like to be a, let's go die with Jesus, Christian. I'd like to experience that life. Where are you? Be honest about what God has been saying to your heart. And begin to create some spiritual movement through your prayer today. Ask God to help you move forward. And to have a super impactful Sunday. It's important for you to see the people in your life who need some time experiencing the resurrected Savior, some people who need to see the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. So who in your life is discouraged? Who has lost hope or is losing hope? Who seems to have spiritual facts without saving faith? Palm Sunday Christians praising Jesus on Sunday. They forgot about him by Friday. If you have anyone in your life like that, would you pray for them? Just right now, would you pray that they would be able to come and see Jesus? And would you pray for the courage to invite them and ask God to impact them? Father, today we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for this one little line tucked into the history of Lazarus that shows us doubting Thomas in such a different light. The boldness of Thomas, the leadership of Thomas, the commitment of Thomas to say, let's go die with him. 
Lord, may we move from a come and see faith. Thank you for inviting us to come and see. Thank you that your grace has been pulling us in to come and see you our entire lives. Lord, may we move beyond a come and follow faith. Thank you that you invite us out of the stands and onto the playing course. And you say, come follow me every day. Thank you for commitment and what that looks like. And thank you that following you ultimately has to end in sacrifice or stepping back. And Lord, I pray that we will cross the line of sacrifice so that we will realize that come and die really means come and live. Move some people today who are committed but don't have faith as a priority to being all in and making every decision a spiritual decision. God, for those in our life who are discouraged without hope, who have some religion but not a relationship with Jesus, help us to get them to an afternoon or a morning with the resurrected Savior. And God, may you do the work that only you can do. As Jesus is presented, allow them to see the back of his nail-scarred hands and to realize it's him. And let a moment with the resurrected Savior change everything. God, we love you. We need your help to do these things. So help us and be with us. We ask all this today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.